Welcome to Pro Corner. I'm your host, Austin Serhoff. This week we've got part two of my interview with Baltimore Orioles star Trey Mancini. Last week we talked about his journey from being a little kid growing up in Winter Haven, Florida and falling in love with baseball through playing in high school. Uh, we covered Notre Dame a little bit, but mostly we talked about uh, his path in the minors from being an eighth round pick which he mentions in the episode, uh, according to the numbers that he got when he was drafted, that he would have about a 25% chance of making it to the major leagues, um, all the way up to the point where he got called up, and that's where we cut it off. So in this episode, we talk exclusively about his time in the majors. Um, He spent his entire major league career with the Baltimore Orioles, and he's grown, uh, which we discussed in the episode, from... Being the you know rookie that everyone's excited about into being a veteran leader in the locker room, and I found it very interesting. And I asked him about the fact that he was a rookie in an established locker room. Um, he came up in the middle of a run for the Baltimore Orioles that was very successful under manager Buck Showalter, and then as he's grown and become a veteran, the team went full through a full rebuild, and all of the personnel got. Uh, replaced for the most part, you know, in coaching and um, front office positions. And I think one of the most important things when you have a rebuild is that you don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater and veterans like Trey are kept around to remind the young guys, this is how we do things around here. And that there is a sense of what it means to be a member of that team, in this case, the Orioles. And um, Trey talks a little bit about how he learned that from the veterans that he had when he came up in Adam Jones and Mark Trumbo and Chris Davis. And now he is that guy for the younger guys. And I thought it was so interesting that when I asked him about what his form of leadership is, um, building on what he said in the last episode about how a lot of pro baseball is just taking care of yourself and doing your job. There's not really a lot for him to do to be a leader. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not going to fake, like, a go out of his way to get in a guy's face and tell him what to do. He's just available to his teammates, and everyone in the locker room trusts each other to get the job done for each other. And I enjoyed hearing from him about that, and big picture enjoyed hearing from him that on the pro level, um, people are expected to just do their jobs as individuals and let the rest take care of itself. Um, because as an athlete and as a coach on the college scene for a long time, I've seen a large range of cultures where certain things are expected from the athletes. Um, in certain cultures, there's a rigid way of this is how you do things, all the way down to there's not really any cohesiveness with what people are expected to do. So talking to all these pros, including Trey, um, that have I've this pattern has emerged that all of these pros have a group that they're a part of, and they feel like they want to succeed and be a part of that group, but it comes from a place of just doing their jobs as individuals. I really enjoy that balance, and it's something that I've thought a lot about as a pro myself. So that's enough of me talking. Let's get to the episode with Trey. I want to talk about when you got called up. So like you said, you, you had gone up the season, the season before and then came back down, but the initial call 
where you said, where someone told you, hey, you're going to go to the big leagues. Was that a process where they kind of let you know beforehand, maybe for a couple months? Or was it out of the blue, hey, you're going to the bigs, pack your bags? Like, what, what was that day like for you? Uh, no, so it was out of the blue. Um, so it was at the end of the 2016 season. The team was in a playoff race. We actually ended up playing in the wild card game against the Blue Jays that year. Um, but I went to um, Sarasota after the AAA season. The AAA season ended about September 5th that year. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get called up until September 18th. So I went down to Sarasota and um, it, it was basically, we were there in case somebody got hurt or they decided to call one of us up. But for the most part, guys don't get called up a lot from there. But I had, you know, worked hard. I had been doing well in our IPP sessions and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an injury on, on the major league team that opened up a spot for me. So my role when I got called up then was to DH against left-handed pitchers. Um, so it was, you know, another situation where I kind of get thrown into the fire there. We're in a playoff race. I got to be ready to go. And luckily, um, you know, all the experiences throughout my life helped me, um, be ready for that moment. Um, you know, I, I was definitely nervous before my first game. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've been preparing my whole life for it and I was confident that I was a major league player. So it was the most incredible night that I can ever describe or imagine. It was, it was so cool. Um, you know, and then, and especially being there for those couple of weeks playing in a playoff game too was, was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it was a magical night. Uh, what do you remember about your first at bat that stands out to you, whether it's a thought you had an emotion you felt, um, any people you cared about that you were like, whoa, they're watching me right now. Like what, what memories do you look back on in your first major league game? Yeah. I was just kind of thinking about everybody that um, had an impact on me my whole life. And it all kind of went into that moment of being finally being a major league baseball player. And I remember, um, you know, they gave me a second, whenever they called my name, uh, they, they, they always say at Camden Yards making their major league debut. Um, And whether you're a home or away player for the most part, all the fans stand up and clap. So that was a really cool moment. Um, to get recognized like that and then I got into the box and and um, I was ready to go so I felt I felt pretty confident I ended up flying out to to right field my first at bat but I remember after the at bat it kind of you know still felt a weight off my shoulders and I was like you know it's the same game that I've been playing my whole life um, and and um, you know it felt really good and then your first what do you remember about your first hit because you know you're a DH so you don't you didn't get to have um, any of those first moments in, in the field. So your first hit was probably, was the first milestone that you had as a big leaguer. What do you remember? Yes, yeah, so actually at bat after. So my second at bat, I, I hit a home run, um, in that game. So it was, I, I barely even remember it. I felt like I was like floating around the bases. I remember, um, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez was throwing a no hitter against us. Actually, it was the bottom of the fifth. Um, and then, um, you know, I was ready for him to, he, he threw me two changeups to set me up for, um, a fastball inside I knew he was gonna throw me one and I kind of cheated to it a little bit and knew it was coming and um mm-hmm. and yeah put a good swing on it and, and and it went out so it was um a feeling I can't describe it was incredible and and um you know it's something that I'll always cherish when you're you know when you're in that flow state and I you know I experienced this as a kid but I still remember this day when you're in that flow state and it must've been charged times a million for you because you're in a big league game hitting your first home run, you don't even feel the ball, right? Like you probably weren't like, it's, it's almost like it was happening. Like you were living a movie and you could only see and hear what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just remember like the one, um, 
you know, memory I have is kind of, it was after I hit it. Yeah. I didn't even feel the like ball come off my bat, but I remember looking up and seeing the ball in midair and I was thinking to myself, I was like, Oh my God, like that's, you know, I just hit a home run. I knew it was going to go out and I was just in shock basically. Um, so I you did, wanted, you I did snap out of it for a sec to be able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I basically, my goal was not to embarrass myself in a way. <laughs> And I just wanted to look like I belonged and, and, um, you know, to hit a home run was certainly uh, a nice, you know, cherry on top. But, um, yeah, I do remember, I just had that, um, thought in my mind. I was like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe this is real right now. Did they get you the ball back? Yes, they did. Okay, uh, good. It landed in the Red Sox bullpen, um, mm -hmm. and threw it down to our bullpen guys, which is really nice. And they gave it to me after the game. Yeah, nice. that is a nice thing about going into the bullpen is you know you're going to get the ball back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so first big league home run is out of the way. Um, now you probably felt like, okay, now I'm here. Like, I'm, I really feel like I, need, I should be here. What was it about that playoff race that you remember? Because um, it's a really exciting time that you came up. I mean, you came up yeah. for the expanded roster, team in the heat of a playoff hunt. What was it about that locker room and that time period that – was exciting to you and that you still remember I just remember it being such a great group of guys there when I got called up I I, I got to know them a little bit in spring training I was a non-roster invite to spring training that year um so I knew some of them um I had a, a locker next to Mark Trumbo in spring training so so um you know we had become friends through that um so I knew some of the guys but it was really really exciting um and a huge deal to be in a playoff race and it was a very veteran laden team um, they had some great leaders like Darren O'Day, Zach Britton, Adam Jones. I can, I can trumbo Davis. I can go through a whole list. Um, and it was just a really cool group to come up with and, and be a part of. Um, and it is crazy to look back now. And, you know, that was only four years ago. And, and now I'm the second most tenured guy on the team, um, which is just, just crazy to think about how much has changed. But that group was, was special whenever I got there. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to dig into your your changed role and your veteran role on the team. Um, but there's a couple pretty incredible personalities that were on that team that I want to get your your ex first experiences with. So first of all, you mentioned Adam Jones, just an incredible veteran leader and turned into one of the longest tenured Orioles from his time period. Uh, what were your first couple weeks like with him? What was what was he like to have as a teammate? Oh, he was hilarious. Yeah, he he kind of kept me. Um, loose um you know because obviously there are a lot of nerves and everything that go into making your major league debut but everybody made me feel welcome and like I belonged and, and he was at the forefront of that so he definitely made me comfortable whenever I got called up um and and um yeah he's so fun to to be around and um, I'm lucky I got to play with him for two plus years was it was he doing that with advice was it a pat on the shoulder was he making jokes and taking the piss out of the situation like what was it about his demeanor that made you feel at home yeah he, yeah kind of making jokes like he, he was very light like he had fun he has fun whenever he plays baseball um you know he doesn't see it as a job in any sense he he has a good time with it and and um yeah so it's just great to be around and, and everybody feeds off that and then buck who at this time you know been the manager for, I think, about five years. The team's already experienced some pretty serious success. Um, what was that experience like getting to know him the first couple of weeks that you were there? And what do, you, what do you remember about him that stuck out to you? Yeah, so I remember at the end of spring training, uh, I, or when I got sent down from spring training earlier that year, um, you know, I, I 
didn't do too great in spring training, but he said, like, he loved me as a player. Just I need to, you know, have a little more fun with it, relax a little bit and, and um, you know, trust my talents. And, and I really took that advice and, and ran with it, I'd say, um, that year. And then especially when I got called up, um, you know, I, I grew a lot between March when he, when he told me that to September. Um, so it was cool to go up and, and um, you know, kind of show that growth through the way that I performed. Um, and, and um, you know, Buck is somebody that um, he, he really loves his guys and, and trusts his guys to get the job done. And for him to trust me, you know, I was 24 at the time, um, you know, getting called up for the first time to be in a playoff race and, and perform was huge and, and really helped me with my confidence and, and um, I, it still helps me to this day, getting off to the start and, and him trusting me to do my job was just huge for me. What about the culture of that locker room can you trace back to Buck's influence? Because obviously you can trace all of it back to him, but what are, what are a couple things that um, Buck maintained in that time period that affected the culture of the locker room that you saw and maybe still appreciate to this day? Yeah, especially with the veteran team, he kind of lets, you know, lets everything that happens, um, you know, it, it all stays in house. And not that there is any conflict at all, but he, he trusts the players to hold each other accountable, um, things like that. And, and um, you know, he knows his stuff. He, makes, he, he made sure that everybody was prepared, um, knew what, you know, we were never surprised in any situation. He always prepared us to be ready for anything. Um, and he, he was still good about that. So be prepared for anything, let conflicts work themselves out. And it, it sounds like that's almost like a, a second phase because he had taken a couple years to build the culture before you got there. And then when you get there, it's a culture that can almost run itself. And he was trusting it to do so from what you're telling. Yeah. Me. Yeah. It was very advanced at this point. And it's by and large a group that had been there to, and it was their third playoff appearance in five years. So mm -hmm. yeah, really built that um, from the time you got there to 16, it was very advanced, I would say. Mm -hmm. So you get to do this incredible playoff run um, or this, I should say this incredible run towards the playoff game. Was there anything that stuck out about the playoff game that was different from a regular season game, like anything behind the scenes or was it for you just another game um, that you got to be a part of? Oh, no, the energy in the stadium was completely different, I'd say, um, from anything that I'd ever experienced and still haven't experienced anything close to what it was there in Toronto that night. Um, it was crazy. Um, it was an eventful game. I mean, the fans were absolutely wild the whole time. The, even when nothing was going on, the stadium was just loud um, the entire time we were there. It was the game when the guy threw the beer can at our at Hunsu Kim, our left fielder, almost hit him when he was trying to catch a fly ball. Yeah. And, there was a lot. Yeah, it was just a lot. It was crazy. Um, you know, whenever they were introducing our team before the game, I've never heard booze that loud. Um, and then they ended up winning on a walk-off home run. Um, and, you know, looking back, it, it was by far the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. And, and the place was shaking. Um, and, and I've never even experienced anything close to that. It was, the, it was the coolest experience I've ever been a part of. But at the same time, it was really tough since we came out on the losing side. How do you manage your energy in, in a situation like that? Are you someone that draws energy from a raucous opposing crowd? Are you trying to turn it out? Are you leaning on your developed processes? Like, like what, what is your headspace like on a day like that? Yeah, I'd say I, I, I do get adrenaline boost, I'd say whenever it's a packed stadium and loud. Um, you know, it's definitely a different feel. And I'd say I really feed off the 
stadiums energy a lot more than anything else, more than anything um, that I kind of try to, any adrenaline I try to create for myself, um, it, it more or less kind of comes from, um, you know, everybody in the stands. But that's not true for everybody, right? Like some guys are tuning it out, keeping their headphones on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I tune out anything that's like directed at me or anything like that. But uh, but the overall ambiance and the energy and the, the volume of the stadium is so cool and something that I always feed off of. Did any, was anybody talking smack directly? Do you remember any smack talk from uh, the, the fans near the opposing dugout that you were in? No, no, I spent the whole game in the in the dugout. Um, you know, I, I almost had a pinch hit appearance. I was like warming up. I thought I was going into hit and they ended mm-hmm. up hitting somebody else. But I remember, I mean, I was like, I was ready to go. I had never had that adrenaline rush um, like I did. And I didn't even get in the game. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, nothing really directed at me that day, but it was, it was crazy. Okay, so let's pivot to this this last stretch that you've been a pro now for a couple of years, you're established, you're one of the team leaders and I'm not jumping too far ahead, but that's just where we're going to go. Um, what was it like the second time you got called up? Did they say, Hey, you're also here to stay or was that a role that you had to earn yourself once you got there? Right. So I actually never got sent back down to the minors. So that year, obviously, okay, gotcha. gotcha. Loss. So it was spring training the next year. It was just a lot of uncertainty if I was going to make the team out of spring or if I was going to start the year in AAA. Okay. So just so, from just so for I, all of our purposes, the pivot from outfield in spring training that locked your spot in. Right. And okay. that happened in 2017. So I got called up all of the wild card game. Everything was 2016. 2017 is when I learned how to play the outfield. Um, you know, I had been doing well in spring training up to that point, but there was a lot of uncertainty if I was going to make the team that year. Um, mm-hmm. I was definitely one of the fringe guys. So um, luckily I had a great spring training. And then that's when they realized, you know, for me to be on the team, I was going to play outfield. Um, but um, so, yeah, that's when that happened. So, so I made the team out of spring training as an outfielder that year in 2017. What was different about that year? Um, Cause you got called up in such a different, like, such a unique experience for your first major league run, right? Yes. So yeah. what what do you remember about the regular season as being different from oh wait, this is this is not what happened last year? <laughs> like how'd you get yourself in a groove in the regular season as you're trying to establish yourself and maintain your spot in the majors? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously so many firsts. Um, so every time I remember 2017, every time I went to a new stadium, um, you know, I never I had only been to Toronto and New York I think in 2016 so I got to go to so many new stadiums and it was so cool for me um, to be able to do that so it was just a lot of um, first that year um, and and I was almost like star not starstruck in a way but by you know the whole experience and everything like that so um, you know it kind of kept the adrenaline going I'd say for me Um, that first year was you know getting all these new experiences getting to play you know, a whole major league season. So it was really neat. Um, and I, I really learned a lot that year. Mm-hmm. You seem to be someone that really feeds off of um, external stimuli and unique experiences like that. So as the, the season progressed, because, you know, long season, 162 games, how did you get yourself in rhythm once maybe some of that wore off and you guys are deep into the July and the August of the season and you have to keep your edge. You have to keep playing well. Yeah, yeah. And it can be tough. I mean, 162 games is a lot. And even at the major league level, there are some days where you can just be a little more lethargic than you 
normally are. Um, but it's, you know, it, you, you have to kind of play mind games with yourself and, and nobody wants to, to do bad um, at all. So you, you have to motivate yourself and, and not take any pitches off because the second you do that, um, you're going to get eaten alive at the major league level. So you got to be ready every pitch, um, you know, zone in. You just you lock in for three hours and then you can um, lay in bed the rest of the day. But when you're at the field, you're doing your job. Um, you know, I, I see it. You know, it's, all, it's what I wanted to do my whole life, but it's also my job, you know, to, mm-hmm. to perform to my, the best of my ability every single day. So that's enough inspiration in itself, I think. Let's dig more into the job part of it, because um, even though your routine's probably changed since 2017, um, what is a game day routine like for you? From let's actually take it to the night before. Say it's let's say it's day two of a series. You guys just finished a game the night before. What is your process from the time the game ends till the next game starts that you get yourself out of the last game and into this one? Yeah. So yeah, our games, um, a lot of it depends on the start time the next day, but on a normal schedule, let's say we had a night game the night before, and then we have a night game the next day. Yeah. So I'll finish the, I'll finish the first night game. Um, and then I'll go home. I, I always like to unwind a little bit, whether it's like just watching TV, something like that. You kind of just want to get away from baseball for a little bit before you go to bed because mm-hmm. your whole day is dedicated to the game. And then, um, you know, once the game's over, you do want to have, a few hours of just kind of getting away from everything. So by the time that happens, it's like 2.30 a.m. And it's, you know, you're like, no, I need to go to bed because I have a game tomorrow. So Right. For the, the 7.30 Saturday game and you're – what yeah. are, are there a couple things you have to do at the stadium before you leave as well, whether it's ice or uh, training or maybe video? So I always like training, like working out before games. So I always do that earlier in the day. Um, okay. Sometimes you like lifting after games so a lot of times they're at the stadium really really late um but um and, and if I'm you know having an acre pain maybe I'll ice but um if there's nothing nagging um you know there's nothing too much that I have to do after the game except just shower and eat um, gotcha yeah so that's basically it and then you just kind of want to go unwind at home for a little bit um and then yeah like I said before you know it it's 2 30 and in the off season I'm in bed at like 8 p.m. now so it's a huge adjustment going from you know being in bed at 8 falling asleep by 10 and then waking up at 7 a.m. to during a season going to bed at 2 30 a.m. waking up at like 11 or 11 30 the next day um you know I and I've started to get up a little earlier as I've gotten older I'd say but mm-hmm. yeah it's a huge difference from the off season till your your in-season routine um and then you know, for a seven o'clock game, I get to the field at about two o'clock um, and then get a little something to eat um, and kind of just, you know, ease my way into the cage, do my cage routine, um, which isn't anything too crazy. I, I normally just do T work or work off the machine and then um, kind of go in, hang out for a little bit, go out for BP and then, um, you know, kind of just mentally prepare for the game at that point um what do you like to eat before games I like I've always enjoyed knowing these little details do you have a routine or is it just whatever's on the spread whatever's on the spread we have like the best chef in the world um her name's Jenny she she's incredible so um you know everything she makes tastes so good so whatever's out that day I'll, I'll eat I don't I try not to eat too much before the games it's hard with how good the food is but um I definitely don't like feeling too heavy or, or full during a game 
does the video work that you do, uh, whether it's review, getting ready for whatever pitcher, does that happen on the day or are you doing that sort of stuff when you guys have days off and you can really dedicate some time to studying? Um, I'd say on the day, we always have a meeting the first day of a series just to go over the whole team. But then every night I'll go, actually, they normally have video of the pitcher up in the cage. Now we have a TV in the cage that, um, you know, th throughout the whole game day, they'll, they'll, um, you know, have the pitcher up on camera. So I'll just look at a few of his pitches on there, but I face guys enough now to kind of know how they approach me and everything like that. Um, so I try not to watch too much video. You can find yourself sitting in front of the computer for like an hour and then next thing mm -hmm. you know, the game and, and um, you know, a lot of times it, you know, I, I feel like there can be too much watching video and things like that. I try to keep it really simple, um, come up with a plan for myself, but experience in my opinion is the, the greatest, um, you know, tool you have at your disposal. Okay. So you're developing information from these pitchers just based on facing them and and gathering the experience you've had with them, not necessarily with a visual. There, I do have to know though, is there, so say like James Bond gets a mission, he's got, these are the people and this is all the info on them. Are you, do you, are there guys in there that are, that can give you, whether it's a printout or like this pitcher likes to do this, they have the analytics on this pitcher. Like, are you at least consulting them a little bit to get ready oh, for at-bats? We have all of that at, at our disposal. And, and there's always like a huge sheet every day um, that really details all their tendencies, things like that, what they throw in this count. Um, so there's as much, any information you want, it's there for you. Mm -hmm. I'm just something that's a little more simple. And, and um, yeah, it doesn't want like a ton of stuff. I don't want to be up at the plate, you know, with, with math equations in my head per se. So I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but there are certain things I, I like knowing what their, if their fastball is two seam, four seam, how that moves and then what their breaking ball is like. Um, so those are like the two things I focus on the most. I keep it a lot more simple than most people, I would say. Because mm -hmm. um, some guys like knowing you know, they absorb so much information and things like that. Um, and, and that's great. But I, I don't particularly like doing that too much. It can get you too much in your head, right? Instead of making it a whole body exercise, you can start doing at bats from the little, the little processes that are all in your head. Right. Um, but, but there are, so you're saying, but there are guys that really dig heavily into that stuff. Very much so. Okay. So switching over from the numbers to people, um, the last couple of years you've grown from, you know, the exciting rookie that broke out into now a veteran leader. Um, and you've also had this happen while a clubhouse has completely changed cultures as Buck left and new management has come in. So let's start first with your role. How has your role changed over the last couple of years relative to the team from what you've seen and experienced? Yeah, so when I got caught up 2016 and then when I was a rookie in 2017, you know, I was the young guy on the team didn't have much experience or anything like that and then um 2018 certainly didn't go how we wanted um and we we really struggled so we traded away um a lot of the team that year to try to start rebuilding the organization so when that happened we lost a lot of um you know guys that had been around for a while a lot of guys that had a great locker room presence and then i kind of that's when i had to start stepping into the role of being one of the guys that had been there for a long time uh, or longer time. I hadn't been there for that long of a time, but um, I kind of had to start inserting myself into that veteran role. Um, and that's definitely grown since then. And then, um, you know, now we're here at the end of 2020. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm seeing by a lot of people as like a, a team veteran, which is still crazy to me to think about how, how fast that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but definitely a role that I've embraced and enjoyed. It is interesting how we change to the outside world, even as you probably see yourself, you know, like you said, you may have progressed and you have more experience, but you're still Trey. You're still the same you that came up four years ago. Right. And yet how people see you in that locker room has changed so drastically. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed a lot. So um, yeah, you don't want to change who you are in the slightest bit. I just, you know, for the most part, just try to offer guys advice when they get called up. Um, if they, you know, need any help with anything, I'm, I'm always there and they know that. So, um, you know, I, I don't try to be anything I'm not, but I just, you know, if anybody has a question or, or needs help with anything, they know I'm there to, to help them out. So one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, in pro sports, especially like baseball, it's individualized in the way that guys go and get what they need for themselves. But on the team side of things, do you ever find yourself in a role where you're speaking up to the group in the locker room? Or are there guys in the team that have that role? Or are people generally just trying to do their job and deferring to um, what the manager has to say and what Michael Elias is dictating his team culture? Yeah, so I mean, our team culture is great. Now, Brandon Hyde's done such an incredible job since he got the managing job uh, before the 2019 season. Um, you know, I think whenever he came in, he just really wanted us to play for the guy next to us to have a really cohesive locker room culture. And we had that before, but with a whole new group of guys, you kind of have to reestablish that and, and get used to playing on a, on a team with that core group. And I think now a lot of us have been together for a long time that we really have that. And it's a fun locker room. We, we feed off each other. Um, so I wouldn't say there's a lot of like policing that needs to be done in the slightest bit. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of guys, um, you know, are, are still just getting called up and, and they have enough self-motivation, um, you know, to stay in the major leagues. So, um, yeah, there's no policing that really needs to be had too much. Um, and and um, if there if there ever is, like Chris Davis has been on the team for a very long time and he's, he's so good with that. So, um, you know, he, he's a really good team leader. Um, so I, I try not to be like too rah-rah or anything like that, but um, more behind the scenes if anybody, you know, needs anything. Has, for some reason, people have been coming to me for 401k advice with the major league benefit. <laughs> and so I try to try to get familiar with that. So I help them out with that and, and, and those kind of things. Because yeah. they well, don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Is it the uh, is it the is it the Notre Dame on the resume, or why are they coming to you about that stuff? I was a political science major. I wasn't finance or anything like that. But yeah, they I, I still think uh, maybe yeah the the Notre Dame degree. They they think I know more than I actually do. Right. You you were in the liberal arts school. You weren't even in the uh, the B school or anything like that. <laughs> um. Okay. So. You mentioned uh, Chris Davis is still there, and he's someone who has seen you know many phases of Orioles culture and especially Buck building it from the beginning. Um, Do you see the current culture as an amalgam of the culture that came before and the culture now, or is it something that can even be explained in words or, or is it something that has been kind of torn down wholesale and then rebuilt in a completely different way? Yeah, I just think, yeah, with, with the whole organization changing personnel, um, you know, it, it can change, especially with our team. Um, it's a completely different group now than, than was there, um, you know, in those playoff runs that mm-hmm. 
teams. So, um, you know, every team has a new identity and, and things like that. So it's still, we're, we're a much younger team than we were when I got called up for the most part. Um, so it's still a lot of guys learning how to be successful at the major league level and, and things like that. Guys trying to make a name for themselves. When, when I got called up, it was a lot more, um, you know, wanting to win a world series right there and we still obviously want to win a world series now but mm -hmm. um we've been kind of in a rebuild here for a couple of years in a really tough division so um and, and we've been improving every year so so you know our goal every year is to keep improving and to you know surprise a lot of people mm -hmm. that that must be something that was that required a little bit of perspective shift on your part because like you said you came up to a team that was ready to go and now it's in this long rebuilding phase um are there conversations that you have um with either brandon or with mike about where the direction of the team is going and the goals that they have for the future or are you just trusting them to make the decisions and just taking care of your job day to day oh yeah i, I trust them to make the decisions uh, as a player you know it's my job to go out and, and play hard and play to the best of my ability every day. And I, I, um, yeah, don't really ever get involved or even feel like it's my part to have any say in, um, anything organizationally. So, um, you know, as a player, you're, you're a part of the locker room and, and you play the game and then, um, you know, that's your role and that's what I try to do. I try, sure. I really try to, to step out of that. Um, or, or, you know, they're, they're both very, very good at what they do. So I definitely, um, yeah, don't try to offer any advice on, 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 um, yeah, that at all. Of course. I, and to make it clear to everyone, I wasn't saying kicking down the door being like, Hey, what are we up to? Yeah, but, yeah, I know. But, I know. but are there with, and you don't even have to state specifics, but are there at least organizational goals that everyone's on the same page about and is working towards together, whether it's a five-year plan or, culture mission statements like what is everyone rallying around in that locker room yeah I mean I think everybody's just rallying around like I said just going out there every night and expecting to win um you okay. know on paper we might be overmatched against you know the Yankees you know on any given night you know that's usually going to be the case that's reality but we still go out expecting to win mm -hmm. um and um you know, taking advantage of being out there every day and, and playing hard. That's, that's our MO and, and that's what we do. Sometimes keeping it simple is the best thing. Um, and I have, you know, you hear when you really start to read into it, that uh, baseball is in some ways a collection of individual performances that are put together, you know, on the stat sheet as a team, that's all wearing the same Jersey and come from a swimming background. I know that better than anyone that it's, individual performances people got to do their job and then the team will take care of itself um i think we'll leave it there uh trey thanks so much for your time and um go orioles we're really right. excited for the coming season and the coming years as this team rebuilds and starts to take on for contending in the al east over the next couple of years sure yeah i appreciate it Austin. thanks so much all right best to your family trey all right you too All right, that's the show. A uh, big thank you to Trey Mancini for stopping by Pro Corner. That is the end of our conversation with him. Uh, if you stuck around this far, I've got a cool little bit of news for you. Next week, I will be keeping the baseball theme going and the Baltimore Orioles theme going. Uh, I will be having Cal Ripken on the podcast. So part one of my conversation with him, which I'm very excited about, um, obviously because of who, who Cal is, but also because of um, what he brought to this conversation. He's an extremely thoughtful guy, um, 
doesn't really need me to tell you that a lot of what made him great is how smart he is about the game of baseball and how thoughtful he is about what it took for him to be as great as he was. So tune in next week and check out part one of my conversation with Cal. And then uh, part two will be the week after that. In the meantime, as always, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you might be listening to this on. Um, I listen to the feedback and don't really care if it's five stars or not. If it is, great. That helps out the podcast. That helps us out with whatever algorithms are in place. If it's not, tell me how to improve. Leave a review. Your opinion will be heard. Um, if you want it to be a little bit more long form or personal, you can reach me at pro corner podcast on Instagram. You can also reach me at Austin at pro corner podcast.com via email. As always, thanks for stopping by. Have a great week.